Hi, this is M. Allen Cunningham. I'm an author, publisher, and teacher in Portland, Oregon, and you're in the Atelier. In the Atelier is a place for occasional thoughts on literature, writing, the life of the imagination. Come on in. I'm glad you're here. In today's installment, we're introducing something new that I think you're really going to enjoy. We're taking you into the creative workspaces of artists we admire. We're asking writers, visual artists, musicians, filmmakers to bring you right inside their respective ateliers and to share with you a bit about their process, about their creative preoccupations, whatever's on their minds lately. It's an opportunity to spend a little while with various brilliant people who are busy doing good, imaginative, artistic work. Sometimes they'll provide a tour of their actual atelier. Sometimes maybe they'll take us on a walk. But always they'll speak to us directly about what life and work is like for them. We're calling these episodes Atelier Visits. For our inaugural Atelier Visit today, we'd like you to meet the newest Atelier 26 author, a prize-winning fiction writer whose debut story collection I'm thrilled to be publishing next year in 2021. So, say hello and enjoy. Hi, I'm Amy Lee Lillard. I'm the author of Dig Me Out, a story collection coming soon from Atelier 26 Books. I'm going to give you a little virtual tour of my workspace, tell you a bit about my process, and share what creative life looks like for me. I live in Des Moines, Iowa. You probably know that name and our state from every election season when politicians arrive here in droves to eat wings and visit diners and try to appear folksy and cool. It is exhausting. Des Moines is a small city, but a vibrant one with a strong artistic and maker community. We have a local business here, Raygun, that produces t-shirts and other things. And one of the t-shirts says, Iowans, the few, the proud, the extremely attractive. I like to think that's true. A few years ago, after 20 years of apartments and condos in other cities, I bought a house here. This house is old by American standards, built in 1910. It's got an old coal chute for heating back in the day. The floors creak when you walk, and sometimes with a strong wind. It's got an unfinished basement that seems to have true crime written all over it. It's got gaps in the walls that have let in bats into my bedroom at night, exactly the time and place you don't want bats. But I love it. I love this house. I live on my own, and I love that too. I'm 42, and I never wanted to get married or have kids. And it's interesting because when you're a woman that doesn't have or want these things, you can often be viewed as an oddity. Every time I have a maintenance visit to my house, which is often because, again, built in 1910, the man, because it's always a man, asks why I live in this big house all alone. 
I ask him how much I owe them and move them along. My office is on the second floor of the house, and I look out on my front yard, which in summer has green grass, a purple smoke tree, busy street. I look out over a big covered front porch where I like to read. I like to invite my friends over for day drinking. Recently, a feral cat club has sprung up on my porch. I have come out in the morning to find my patio furniture is knocked over and muddy paw prints are everywhere. And when I started feeding the cats, because that's where quarantine took me, they stopped. It is full-on extortion, and I'm okay with it. When school was in session, kids from the nearby middle school would troop home every day at 3.30 in all their awkward pain. And I'd want to hug them, tell them it will get better. In my actual office, I have three tables that form a U-shape. It's a good look at my day-to-day. One table is dedicated to my professional job. I work from home for a company called Aeon, and I have a career in communications. Over the past 20 years, I've worked in academia, advertising, freelance, writing of all kinds. On that desk, I have a laptop and an external monitor facing a window that looks out on my neighbor's house. Then there's a table that's dedicated to my personal life and my personal writing. There I have a big iMac, and that's the window that I look out onto the world. Also, there's a mouse pad with a cat riding a unicorn, shooting out rainbow fire from its nostrils, because why not? There's also a table dedicated to my podcast, Broads and Books. My co-host Aaron and I talk about our favorite books on a weekly theme, and we tell ridiculous and embarrassing stories. We come up with crackpot business ideas. It's a great time. On this table, we have a mixer, two microphones, headphones, and another chair for Aaron. Along the walls of my office, I have bookshelves. One shelf has a record player with an Iggy Pop album in it all the time a typewriter, a box with old cassette mixtapes, photo albums, and a cross-stitched fuck-the-dumb-shit in a frame. On another bookshelf, I have a lot of books that are dedicated to writing and the craft of writing. I have a lot of literary journals, and I have binders, so many binders, all of them labeled because that is my jam. Oftentimes when I'm doing work in my office and it's organizing or it's doing some of my Aeon work, I listen to music on Spotify. A lot of Riot Girl Punk shows up on my Spotify playlists, especially Slater Kinney and Bikini Kill as the title of my book, Dig Me Out, and its individual stories may hint at. I listen to a lot of modern indie music, old school soul, big band, you name it. But when I'm writing... I can't listen to music with words, so I often go to film scores. I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, and they've put out six instrumental albums, all named Ghosts. Plus, Trent Reznor has scored several movies and shows with his partner Atticus Ross, and I listen to those a lot. 
As any writer knows, the workspace does not just create the work. Sometimes I have to change spots, either for a change of pace or because it's summer and my office is humid and hot. So I take my iPad Pro downstairs and sit on my couch or at the dining table. Sometimes, in the days when you could go places freely without pandemic fears, I'd go to the downtown Starbucks to sit, write, and let crowd noise be my backdrop. As far as how my actual writing process works, I don't know. It's always changing. I'm not superstitious, I'm not a believer, but I do find I'm hesitant to push too hard on how my writing happens or where it comes from. There's something real witchy, something real unfathomable about creativity. I'm extremely content with my life these days, and that's been a hard-fought thing. Over my 42 years, I've struggled with depression and anxiety, with burnout, with dangerous relationships, with being a woman in a world that doesn't like women, with just being a human in a human body. It's a difficult thing to be content with yourself, especially because our culture shames us for being content, for not striving, for not doing more. Part of the creative process for me has been owning the idea that I'm a creative writer. I've always harbored that desire, that act, that need to write, but for many, many years, that identity didn't belong to me. And that could be my Midwest upbringing, which teaches you your place from the start. It questions, who do you think you are? It says, don't stand out, bloom where you're planted, but not too big, not too bright. Five years ago, in a fit of insanity, I applied to an MFA program and I got in and I spent summers in Europe and semesters in mentorship and I learned that I could own that title of creative writer, that creative writing was indeed for me. That unlocked a lot of things for me. It gave me permission to finally be creative and it helped me own other parts of myself. I'm an aunt to three nephews and a niece. I'm a sister to two younger twin brothers. I'm a friend to a tight-knit group of people, most of whom are without children as well. We often joke about our raisin ranch, the house we'll have together when we're wrinkled and decrepit and can't care for ourselves anymore. So today I'm calling myself a content, human, adult woman and an author. It's an incredibly exciting time because I'm working with Atelier 26 to put out my first fiction book next year. It's also a thrilling time for my podcast. We've been talking to some of our favorite authors like Mona Wad, Alex Marzano Lesnovich, Andrea Lawler, Jeannie Venasco, and Julia Phillips. And I'm learning so much about books to read, about writing processes to try, about being a creative being in today's world. But here's a surprising thing about creativity and creative writing. It continually morphs. Right now, to my total surprise, I find I'm increasingly drawn to writing nonfiction, to telling some of my own stories. It's exhilarating in a way because I'm digging into my own experiences and learning about myself, but it's terrifying in another. I don't know how memoir writers grapple with the fears that come from exposure. So who knows what will come for our world and for mine? Who knows what directions my writing will go? But I am 
extremely excited to find out, and I hope you'll join me. Amy Lee Lillard. She's the author of Dig Me Out, coming from Atelier 26 Books in 2021. Read a bit about the book on our website, atelier26books.com. There, you can also sign up for the Atelier 26 newsletter and receive news about Amy's book. Amy's podcast, which I can't recommend highly enough, is Broads and Books. It's hilarious and thought-provoking, so make sure to check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at broadsandbooks.com. Our thanks to Amy Lee Lillard, and thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at anchor.fm slash in the atelier. That's in dash the dash atelier. So long for now. Mm-hmm.